Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Resident Evil Afterlife 3D or Cinepazunbaj de Recherche. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to yet another episode where we are talking about the Resident Evil franchise. Uh, I am one of your co-ghosts, John, joined as ever by my good friend Ash. Ash, how are you doing? I am alive and well on my secret research barge somewhere off of the uh, western seaboard of the United States. I always, I, I mean, I, I've known for a while that you've wanted to get your own barge, your own gigantic oil tanker, uh, and I'm really glad the move has gone well. You know, ever, ever since we watched Lighthouse, I just wanted, I wanted to be a man of the sea. And the easiest way for me to do that was a $400 million secret research barge. I mean, uh, that's that's the obvious path. Uh, I completely agree. Yeah, I, did, I didn't want to be bougie and get a yacht, so I just went ahead and started an international bioweapons corporation. <laughs> As the, the, true, the true working class route to right. owning a boat. To uh, owning uh, yeah. a boat. I, I, was, I was thinking about the rich heritage of like, Working class, men of the ocean, lighthouse keepers, fishermen, people working in shipping boats. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, a multinational uh, corporation that is like horizontally structured into like every business on the planet. <laughs> uh, it is it is film number four in the Resident Evil franchise. But before we before we get into it, a word from our sponsors. This program is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Go to patreon.com slash horrorvanguard and get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive content. Thank you for listening and stay spooky. It's not wolves. It's wolf. 20,000 years. Ten times you're fucking Christian era. One of the best things about uh, having a Patreon account is doing movies like Resident Evil and knowing that, like, under no circumstances will we ever see as much money as this movie did. And this is the highest grossing Canadian film in human history. Uh, so Resident Evil Afterlife 3D is currently the pinnacle of Canadian cinema. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the capitalist pinnacle. Oh, I, I, th I think we could argue that this is also the artistic pinnacle. <laughs> well, well, I remember when we were talking about the previous film in the franchise that you asked me a question uh, towards, the end, towards the end of that episode, which was obviously the big reveal. There's an army of clones now. There's clones now for reasons which are never really explained. Um, and and you asked me what I thought was going to happen in the next film, and I am very pleased to say that I was I was correct, but only for the first ten minutes of this film. <laughs> you know, you know, at the end of the day, like it, it, thousands of Mila Jovovich clones running around is both too cool for the human body to intake, and probably yeah. prohibitively expensive. <laughs> uh, yeah, all of that like um, digital modeling where they're trying to like 
put Mila's face on on all of the kind of stunt people. Yeah, it would be it would be it would be very complicated. Right, and I think I mean, like I think I mentioned this in the previous episode, but like this captures the spirit of the Resident Evil game so well because at the start of every new game, you're like, wait, like this is what happened? What? <laughs> and then, like wait. you know, maybe 15 minutes later, you've kind of forgotten your entire past and the world in which you live, and you've completely you're on board with the fact that things are totally different this time around for some reason. So what you what you're saying is that basically. Capcom don't really know how to write a plot that lasts more than one installment. Uh yes. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Outside outside of the barest iconographic through lines that connect things. Uh yeah, this isn't this isn't long form storytelling we're dealing with here. I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest. I I both really did like the opening 10 minutes and also really didn't like it. Because um it was nice. It was, it, you know, I was like, oh, we've got some continuity between films here. <laughs> um, uh, some of the set pieces were pretty cool. But the, I have to, I've got, I'm, I'm going to say this right off the bat. A lot of the action in this film has aged horribly, mostly because of that ridiculous obsession around 2010 of making everything into 3D. The 3D in this looks rubbish <laughs> yeah i think so this is one of my favorite entries in the resident evil cinematic universe but i think it i think this one has the worst visual effects besides maybe final oh, yeah. chapter this one is just like th this is this is a decade after the matrix comes out and this is like student film matrix level stuff like this is just like bullet time bad action bad cgi yep. mouth effects for the for the new like uh plagas zombies thing that we've got going on and it's just like it's just really weak and a lot of the mila jovovich clone stuff looks really awkward mm. yeah they, they they did they did the control c control v and after effects <laughs> uh, the thing that i wrote down in my own notes watching this was uh just the word cheap Mm -hmm. it, it, now it looks cheap and it looks looks that way because they forced it through the 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 3d post-production and it yeah. just doesn't doesn't age well and it dates the film but at the same time i did think that the opening 10 minutes was a cool idea yeah i, th I think for the 3d in this movie like uh, paul w S. anderson i think really shot himself in the foot with the 3d here because like I mean, like the studio they were filming and burned down slightly before production. So I'm sure that that messed them up a good portion. Yeah. yeah. But then on top of that, like the 3D in this one is so self-serious, Oh, you yeah. know, and like I kept thinking back to like 3D slasher movies from like three decades before this came out. And those are all like the 3D is just so goofy you yeah. know and it's not it's not self-important and the 3d in this one it's like knives are getting kicked at you glass is getting it's just mila jovovich is kicking sharp things at you is the 3d in this movie yeah yeah it's it's basically uh yeah mila jovovich uh throwing the contents of a hardware store at your face <laughs> yeah and and like it, it doesn't work it, it, like this is this is resident evil afterlife 3d this is this isn't like it should like this is a camp movie 
the 3D effects could have been more camp. They could have been more in your face. They could have just been goofier. And I think that that would have that would have worked a little bit better than just kind of like occasionally Mila Jovovich throws stuff at you, which in and of itself uh, is pretty fun sounding. Yeah, I mean, let's let's not knock it. <laughs> <laughs> but what I was thinking of was like you know the saw that they did in three D, where it's like people's people's eyeballs come flying at you, and I'm like, yeah, okay, if you're gonna do three D, make it into like make it into like a, a into a big dumb theme park ride. That that I could have gotten on board with. Yeah, I um, I completely agree. But do you know what I was very happy with? Uh, the the return of of two fan favorites. Firstly, PWSA is back, baby. <laughs> Paul W S Anderson is back directing. Uh, as it says in our notes, King Wife Guy. <laughs> He is he is back, and it is the most. I, I think this is why the movie it, it's back now, baby. Uh, I just missed him so much. Uh, and it's you know when we're not doing the kind of oh look at how cool the three D is. This is just a, a a a really fun ride. And the other thing that I'm really happy about is there's so much Wesker in this film. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes, there is so much Wesker in this movie. Um, he he's got that. He has got the low polygon PS2 cutscene head. He has got his dork hair. He has got his his sunglasses, which I'm sure he he thinks make him look really cool. I love this villain. <laughs> I I think I think he works on so many levels because he he is as campy as this this franchise needs right he he is an absolute dork of a villain yeah absolutely <laughs> and like he still he still embodies i think a lot of a lot of what makes because the resident evil franchise is very very much about or it, it tries i should say it tries to very much be about uh, uh problems with corporations a, a very broad set of issues but this is what we want the, the movies want us to be thinking about right Mm-hmm. And like we, we we get that scene in the beginning where he's like he says something like tell security to flood Amazon fulfillment center three with worker compliance gas, <laughs> and it's just it's so evil. You know he's got no redeeming qualities. He's just a bastard. You know and like I I like that I like that about him. Like I like that we can occasionally as 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 a counter to like Thanos, who's you know we like the the Marvel movies wanted us to care so much about the guy who was doing genocide to the galaxy for uh very Malthusian reasons. It's like yeah. I don't give a fuck about him. I want I want the I want Spider-Man to cut his head off with a little, little lightsaber or something. And like with Wesker, I can just hate him. I, I yeah, could I absolutely could just k- kill him, Mila Jovovich. I don't like this guy. <laughs> and there's and there's like it's... that I think that reflects political issues very well. You know, because like uh, the, the working class has nothing in common with the employee cl- employing class. Those people are bastards. You know, like we we, uh, we 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 can have the simplicity of having an enemy. You know, and the, and the Resident Evil movies are are giving us that. They're reminding us that we legitimately have enemies, and it's okay to not like them. Um. Yeah, I think this is a big thing. Actually, it's well worth pointing up on point points picking up on, which is that. That there is nothing wrong with knowing who your enemies are 
and not liking them. <laughs> yeah. There's there's this whole thing of like, oh, you shouldn't you shouldn't you shouldn't hate anybody. You should like everybody. You know, even the people that you disagree with politically, you should you should hate. You shouldn't hate them. But I'm sort of like, actually, no, it's a sign of convictions, right? You know, mm-hmm. this this idea this idea of kind of liberal respectability. Um, Mark Fisher wrote a great post about this called We Dogmatics, where he said, actually, no, I don't want your respect. I don't want, you know, where you go, oh, we might disagree, but I respect your opinion. It's like, no, we disagree. And we disagree over something foundational and important. And that shouldn't be uh, elided by this liberal discourse of like, well, you know, at the end of the day, we have more in common. It's like, no, we have nothing in common. <laughs> and it's so nice to have a film that just kind of just gives us an uncomplicated villain. And I, re- I really love how like, did you know, like the, this is very two dimensional, but it's also not very ha- and it's very camp. It's very two dimensional. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's very camp, but it's also not hack, you know, because it, w- it would have been really hack for Wesker to be like, Alice, you and I have so much in common. We're more alike than we are apart. Yeah, uh, and like, but we don't, we don't get it. Wesker's just like, hey, I'm 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 gonna eat you and become a super monster that takes over the world because fuck I you, I hate you. And Alice is like, no, I think I'm gonna kill you instead. Like, it is we we don't we don't get any of this like, like oh our our you know we we are, we're building a bridge of unity to to the eugenics corporation that wants to turn the earth into a zombie desert. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is this is the the Utah Phillips quote. I mean, like. Uh, uh, the, 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 the people who are destroying this planet have names and addresses and we, we have found like six of Wesker's many addresses. <laughs> um, I completely agree that it's, it's camp and it's, and it's silly, but it's not hack. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love the basically, uh, the cartoonish ending to that opening sequence with, Mm-hmm. The, the fucking helicopter crash right oh oh jesus christ the fucking helicopter crash <laughs> I, I, I love it i love it so much okay, okay so if if you haven't seen this movie uh, the the million clones of alice storm the tokyo resident evil underground base which like what kind of fucking boring company ass bullshit is this they have underground yeah. bases all over the world and no and and, and no like uh, a sleuth or wikipedia article has been able to pick up on this yet but like <laughs> So, so uh, uh, Wesker blows up all of the Alice clones except for the real one, which is on his escape craft. You know, so they're flying away, and like they get into a fight, and, and Wesker injects him with like little little fucking blob goblins, uh, microscopic blob <laughs> goblins that attack her literal T cells because they're in the shape of a T. Amazing. Um, and, and then and then it, it takes away all of her powers, so no more mind powers, no super strength, no healing. And then Wesker, who is like a demigod, proceeds to just beat the crap out of her. But she's all right. You know, shrug. It doesn't matter. And then the, the fucking helicopter crashes head on into a mountain. Right, head on into a fucking mountain. And Alice survives. I'm a normal, yeah, I- relatively healthy person. And I guarantee you, if I fell down half a flight of stairs, I am fucking turning to <laughs> dust dead. before I hit the end of it. Like, I, I just... I love it because as the as the helicopter hits the mountain, we get this bullet time, uh, 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 like sweeping kind of like shot that goes through all the chaos in the helicopter, and then it like cuts to like an Alice who's been like absolutely crispy deep fried walking away from the helicopter, <laughs> and she doesn't have powers, but apparently this doesn't hurt her anymore, and like 
Yeah. I, I know this is a scripting problem because I know that in, in the script, there, there there's a lot of information that we should have gotten that explains that Alice's uh, T cell or T virus infused biology is is fighting off the antibodies. So her powers are always kind of like rebuilding and coming and going. So it didn't actually work. It just kind of stunned her. Yeah. yeah. And like, but we, we, you really, when, when you have your, your main protagonist who is now allegedly a normal human get blown up when a helicopter crashes into a mountain, you, you might need to give me at least a line explaining how they walked away. Well, well, here, here's my thought. Um, at the, at this point, Alice has been in like multiple helicopter accidents. Mm-hmm. Multiple times she's been on, she's been on transportation, which has crashed. And maybe it's like a tolerance thing, you know? So it's like once you've been in four or five, it doesn't hurt you anymore. And you can just, you can just sort of shake it off. Oh, so she, what you're saying is like she knows the ropes now and she's like, oh, you know, this, this, is, this is your standard 45 degree pitch head on mountain crash. I'm going to have to tuck yeah. and roll uh, right about now. Yeah, we've been been here before. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the same the, with the same logic that I have barely built up a resistance to coffee. Alice is able to survive helicopter crashes. I love this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I absolutely love that they've they've uh, this this is this is what makes me think that whoever wrote this script was a genius because they introduced this uh, ostensibly big shocking twist, which is that Alice is going to lose her powers. And it makes literally no difference to the narrative whatsoever at any stage. If her having or not having her powers uh, fills your heart with joy now, I am so excited for you to watch the next movie. I love. I loved it. I loved it. I was just. I was just sitting there, just smiling to myself, uh, and being like, "Paul W. S. Anderson, you, you absolute king." What a power move to to put in the script. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take away a hero's powers. Oh, oh, so is this gonna make her more vulnerable and make her challenges bigger? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, amazing. But I mean, like, like we. So I think when we read this film, we need to read the Paul W. S. Anderson ones in context with him, kind of like as if it was Paul W. S. Anderson talking with his wife. You know, and and it's <laughs> yes. not it's not like like it's it's not Alice just being really tough. It's Paul W. Sanderson going like, "Hey, babe, you don't need the powers. I loved you. I loved you even before them. And you know what? You're stronger without them." I love. I love. You've just made me love this film more. Uh, the, the, the whole the whole franchise, metatextually, is a rom com, and I think that 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 framework compels our understanding. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, there is some, there are some flying scenes, um, which go nowhere and don't, don't really do anything. Um, and Alice ends up at, at, of all places, um, uh, a prison. Um, uh, should, should we, should we talk about the, the, the prison setting? <laughs> uh, so, uh, Resident Evil is in fact a prison. We we do indeed live in a society. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the, the prison discourse is really interesting, and I think uh, to get to get kind of meta for a second, prisons are reoccurring bits of iconography in zombie cinema. Right, we're always kind of going back to the prison as a safe haven from zombies, and I think that there's a lot about this that we can pick apart. 
and and we because why in the world would we be choosing a prison uh, like this prison is literally named the citadel you know it's it's a stronghold it's impervious to onslaught and i think and on on the first like degree of this like prisons i mean like it wouldn't necessarily be a very useful place to 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 hold yourself in you know it's not like a castle that's designed for people to live in it's like a a warehouse for human suffering you know it's not necessarily the best place to try and stage your final stand of humanity and on top of that like i think a lot of the perception of prisons as these kind of fortresses of impervious security comes comes from the fact that our media does not report on prisons with any kind of uh, balance or accuracy you know that we report on prisons as these societally necessary places that are very secure and that's kind of it when in reality they're like riddled with holes and full of suffering and pain and like you know like if you if you kind of follow left media and left discourse like there are always prison uprisings and prison rebellions going on here in the united states there are prisoners who are fighting each and every day for their freedom and like you know like all prisoners are political prisoners and i think that that kind of understanding of the prison complex is missing from a lot of these zombie movies it's just that surface understanding of like oh this this is an invincible building that no one can get in or out of so it's going to be safe from zombies and not kind of a more complicated structuring or, or like a complicated understanding where like this this is a parking garage that was built by the lowest bidder that's designed to house uh the the surplus army of labor until capital can either send them off to war which we find out is what happens in this movie or just lets them die yeah, the the governor literally opens the prisoner prisons and uses them as a, a tr- source of cheap labor to try and kill zombies. Yeah, and it's weird to me that like there, there was a, there was a bit of dialogue that I really liked, um, and it comes from Chris Redfield's character, and he says, "When people started eating each other, there wasn't any point in keeping anyone locked up." I liked that, you know, because I think like what are, what are the zombies if nothing more than a metaphor for our lived condition? And then, like, you know, it causes us to think about, like, okay, what is the point of anyone being incarcerated? Like, what is this doing for me in the world I live in? Yeah. And, like, but then, the, yeah, it immediately undercuts that with, like, oh, no, actually, he, you know, he, I, I was just being poetic. The governor let everyone out so he can use them as an army when he ran out of regular army. I, I'm, I, I'm sort of, like, you know, Foucault would watch this film and think that it was on the nose. He would he would watch this film and then like his head would explode like in scanners. <laughs> no no one send this back in time to Foucault, please. <laughs> yeah, I I I I I completely agree. Obviously, I think there is a kind of latent issue of uh, prison abolition uh, happening here, and of course the weird liberal ideology around the function of prisons. You know, mm-hmm. there yeah. is a se- there is a second layer to this. Um, that runs uh, through the prison discourse, which is who is actually there in the prisons? Uh, because we have a uh, celebrity, we have a movie producer, we have somebody who wants to be an actor. Um, so if 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 we accept that kind of um, you know a liberal ideological point of view of the the panoptic society of the the carceral state 
Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Isn't it interesting that it's all of these like celebrities and glamorous people that end up in the prison? Um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's it's I I don't know. It's just interesting choices about who these characters are that they've made, um, and it might just be for the cheap gag of getting to to you know brutally murder a movie producer when you're directing uh, a film, but. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's a kind of reflection and an awareness here of of celebrity comes with its own levels of in, of imprisonment. Really, this this film kind of suggests that the people who are truly quote unquote free are again the heroes that run throughout this entire franchise, which is our private military contractors, former soldiers, and law enforcement officers. They're the ones who are going to be free in this post apocalypse because they're the ones who know how to handle guns. They're the ones who know how to uh, fly planes. They're the ones who are used to telling people what to do ostensibly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that is is one of the best ways to look at this, right? Because yeah, who is free and who isn't it's, it's celebrities, you know, for, for some reason have survived. And then like these, these kind of like extensions of the military and of the state and of corporate control, right? Those are our survivors and our heroes here at the end. Yeah. And I think like, I think for me, a really compelling character that's in this one. Um, there's a guy named Luther, mm-hmm. uh, who's who's a who's a basketball superstar, right? Like he's he's the Resident Evil universe equivalent of like a, uh, a LeBron James, Michael Jordan, right? Like these kind of like icons of the game at, at the peak of their time. And like we 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 get we get a scene where Alice is like, I I know you from somewhere, and she's having like memory problems, right? So it's like a red herring we as the audience are thinking oh no he's like a he's a he's an umbrella double agent or something but no like like the camera pans over and there's a there's a billboard the size of a skyscraper with his face on it and it's like a watch <laughs> a watch advertisement and like i think there's there, there's something really interesting about that right because it's like what his his celebrity status means nothing yeah you know the the, the second society starts to buckle and i think that it's it's a reminder of kind of like what celebrity does and the function of celebrity and the function of having that kind of money, you know, it is entirely contingent upon the, the greater orchestra of capitalism and the prison industrial complex and all of this other stuff. Like it's all, it's all woven in together and we get, we get a bunch of good gags with him, right? Like he uses his like super basketball jumping powers to stop a plane from falling off of the edge of a skyscraper. <laughs> Amazing. And then like Amazing. when one of our final scenes is like, he he emerges at the mouth of like a sewer, like with his clothes in tatters and he's all fucked up and he like blows some zombies away and, and he says something like star power motherfuckers or something like that. And so we're like, we get a, we get a couple of good gags, <laughs> but I yeah, think, yeah, abso- absolutely. I, I think everything you've been saying about celebrity is such a great way to read his character. Yeah, no. I, and it's really rare that, that a zombie film would make those specific choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and obvious, obviously, um, obviously, you know, the prison doesn't hold as a safe uh, location for them. Um, can we very quickly just talk about our big bad in this in this film? Uh, our, 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 the the control C control V nemesis that turns up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the the executioner. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the big axe. Big axe zombie, um, which increasingly I'm, I'm I'm interested to see if this is going to keep going. 
that that we're basically doing the old zombie consciousness problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that going to keep? I'm I'm assuming that's going to keep going. Um, it just 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 gets better from here. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. I was I was wondering, but um, and uh, where? How do you how do you want to wrap up? Should we should we finish by talking about um, the confrontation with Wesker? Oh, let's 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 do it. Let's let's talk about the confrontation with uh, Wesker's uh, pseudo vaginal mouth demon. <laughs> uh, so, in, um, in, in no way is uh, this movie a joint venture between uh, uh, Foucault and Freud. Uh, <laughs> kind of is, isn't it? Kind of is. Um, but what I love is there's something very odd about the choreography for the last kind of fight, which is that um, Alice confronts Wesker and then uh, Claire and Chris turn up. Um, and there's there's this kind of moment where... <laughs> okay, uh, the brief tangent of Wesker like completely owning them by just throwing his aviator shades at them. <laughs> uh, amazing. But whilst that is happening, uh, uh, you know, the, we, you see the camera kind of like circling around and you just get these like kind of B-roll shots of, of Mila Jovovich just sort of standing there with nothing to do. And it's just, it's so emblematic of the fact that you've got, at the same time as you've got this supposed confrontation with someone who's been doing heinous biomedical experiments on survivors, um, you've you've also got this kind of like, really clumsy staging of what should be like a high camp fight right at the end. Mm-hmm. And also, I have a question. Yes. Do umbre- does, does the Umbrella Corporation just not keep track of the research? Because this is the second time in two films uh, that a villain has decided the thing to do is just inject myself with loads of the T-virus just to see what happens. And it's like, you know what happens by now. <laughs> um, I love it. I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, I think as far as like the Resident Evil plot stuff in this one, I think we're the the game is drawing or the movie is drawing from like Resident Evil Four and Resident Evil Five, the video games. But it's kind of like it's it's put all it's put all the pieces and characters in a bag and kind of shaken it up and dumped it out and like whatever whatever landed closest was used. And so, uh, you know, things are things are a little hodgepodge in, in this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I do I do love that that final that final fight sequence is just like it's so camp. It is so ham and cheesy and kind of awful. And that's really, I guess that's really all I have to say about it. Like that final fight sequence is just like, uh, although I do, I do like the poetry though of a movie producer being killed by being trapped in the room with what would have been a gigantic CGI blob monstrosity (laughs) if we would have been able to see it, but we just get to hear it. So I think there, there's, there's, there's some kind of like beauty to that that's in this movie. Uh, yeah, my sneaking suspicion is that Paul W.S. Anderson did not have a great time working with the producers on this film. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to suggest anything, but 
the subtext is pretty clear. Yes, uh, someone someone has some hangups. <laughs> um, and then we we end on a on a on a on a on an amazing cliffhanger. You know, we haven't even talked about the fact that um, shipping is still one of the largest um, and most important routes by which uh, capitalist control over territory is asserted. You know, Umbrella probably had its roots in like the East India Company in the nineteenth century. Um, you know, controlling uh, import and exports throughout colonial enterprises. Um, we haven't even talked about that, but it ends on the amazing <laughs> cliffhanger of our of our Noah's Ark of survivors um, about to get absolutely uh, murked by loads of umbrella goons. And I'm just sort of like, what's that mission briefing like? <laughs> Okay, so we're now in a post-apocalyptic zombie desert because we are that obsessed with creating bioweaponry. Uh, we'd like you, maybe the last 60 people alive, to go and murder those 2,000 people. And if you do it well, you'll get an extra 200 umbrella fun points in your, <laughs> in your week. I'm assuming that's what it was like. I mean, it, it got me thinking about like those... Um... Like, like that, that information that came out like what like 500 years ago now maybe three years ago that was like uh, uh billionaires were trying to figure out what to do about the upcoming climate catastrophe and like some oh, cons yeah, yeah. some consultant people were like oh okay like well like what feudal lords did is they would let in some some kind of poor slobs in, in into the the inner circle right and then they would become security chiefs and then they would have their own little armadas. And effectively, it was like a restructured feudalism where they would have little knights. And those knights would have their own little vassals. And like, like oh, that's that's a way to solve everything. But you kind of got to share some of the wealth and power. And then and then the, the billionaires were like, hey, what about bomb collars? You know, like, I think that'll work. And like, that is the most resident evil fucking thing. Like, what about bomb that collars? That is... That is some hardcore Chairman Wesker shit. Right there. <laughs> yeah, there's there's 600 people like, live. Uh, what if we put bomb collars on 300 of them? As it, that's what you call motivating your workforce. Mm. And the thing is, that that's what billionaires say about you behind closed doors. And that's what they say about you right now. Yes, you, you should know who to hate. Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>